Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Welcome back, everybody, to the Red Light Report. We have the first guest of 2023, and some of the longtime listeners will recognize his name and face and voice. And it is Alan Dykstra, who is the CEO of Cayenne Medical over in, is it Shenzhen, Alan? Is that where you are? Yeah, all the way in Shenzhen. We're next to Hong Kong, the electronic city, so the Silicon Valley of the electronics in China. Silicon Valley of China. I love it. (laughs) And so Cayenne Mm -hmm. Medical, as uh, prior audience members know, is an authority in the light therapy industry by far. For for those who are new newer to the podcast, I'll just give you a quick background on Alan. He was born in Holland, and Alan moved to China when he was 13 years old with an entrepreneurial mindset, which resonates with me, uh, that he procured from his parents. And, and through a series of events, which we cover on that initial podcast, which was a year and a half ago, it was in the middle of 2021. For those who want to go listen to that first podcast, which I recommend because Alan covers a lot of cool subjects and topics specifically on red light therapy. And it was back in July of 2021. It's called the new frontier of light therapy. Alan developed Cayenne Medical in his hotel room, of all things, in in 2009 and has grown exponentially over the past decade plus. Of course, now we're in 2023. Today, Cayenne Medical has become one of the largest and most innovative producers and manufacturers of LED therapy products worldwide. So without further ado, Alan, welcome Mm. back to the Red Light Report. Yeah, it was super great. Amazing to be the first one and honored 2023. <laughs> Mike, yeah, it was, was a great interview the last time, one and a half year ago. And um, now, as you say, you know, uh, red light therapy at that time, we were one of the main companies to produce in China red light therapy. I think we really settled that number or that that statement this year since our factory, what we have been doing just only red light therapy now has at least since that time doubled, if not tripled in size. So that also shows that your market that you're in, uh, the red light therapy market is is just exponentially growing and the awareness is is expanding so much that and that's great news right for the industry so super exciting to see what light therapy and although this light therapy has to bring in the next coming years yeah i think we both knew especially back then that it was a matter of time before red light therapy caught on and i still think we're still in in the very early stages relatively speaking exactly exactly the beginning yeah. yeah but even since 2021 it's grown quite a darn bit you can see more people talking about it and posting about it on social media people you talk to are more likely to know about it maybe not necessarily utilize but they've possibly heard about they it get after. aware with it yeah, right everybody is now slowly has has something that they understand hey light does something else than just lighting up my room yeah so exactly. even the awareness of circadian rhythm you know the the, the the blocking glasses and and items like that are slowly getting more awareness so yep. super exciting and yeah great news for the industry we're in well, so that was actually going to be one of my first questions. You already answered it. You know, how, what type of changes have you seen with Cayenne Medical in the past uh, year, year and a half? And I guess my question alongside that, since we know that it's grown, uh, you know, two to three times already, 
I guess, A, what would you attribute that growth to? And then B, what trends have you noticed in the last year or so specific to red light therapy? Of course, one one of the great, somehow also, yeah, hated uh, associations in our industry is the FDA, right? But what I think is, is great about it is that it, it gives finally that recognition to that light bulb b- being able to say this does all these medical treatments with the credit of the FDA saying this is equal to a medicine that we also verify with such and so treatments. For over the last, maybe last year just by itself, we have got about 20 items now or 20 devices, light therapy devices or more even cleared with a 510K number, meaning that those devices get the credibility to be able to say, we treat this. So one of our latest one that we had maybe two months ago or so was the uh, treatment for herpes. So just knowing that a non-visual light, so something that you can't see with your eyes, uh, 1,072 nanometers can treat herpes on your lips. New light therapy treatment. We're the first device in the world that has a rechargeable unit that you can go and hold up for in front of your lips and say, hey, we're using uh, light to treat herpes. Now, this, of course, gives much more credibility to light and the pharmaceutical industry. As a lot of people in the pharmaceutical industry know, we're drying out on great new ideas. They're drying out on new patents for medicines and so on. And uh, this definitely will will make a shift that pharmaceutical companies are also going to look into alternative treatments to treat and treat medical issues. So having herpes now also being treated by light will definitely create a huge shift in the pharmaceutical industry there. So you mentioned 510K products. And so Mm. those not really uh, well-versed in those specifics, how does a consumer looking at a product online know whether or not it's a 510K cleared product and and kind of review what that means again for for the audience? So so a 510K online, it's a bit of a, how to say, you, you, you try to see the, the trees in the forest, you know, which one is, which one is not. A lot of these websites, also in China, you're able to say we're FDA registered. But it doesn't mean anything if you're FDA registered. Everybody can pay some fee and, and you get an FDA registration. And, and 510K means that the FDA actually has and looked and reviewed into your documentations of that you have the proof to say, okay, this is equal to something that is out there that is clinically proven into studies what the FDA have cleared and, and, and reviewed and said, okay, this is safe for people to use and to be able to still treat these claims that they're making. Now, this can be, for example, with light now, uh, there are great claims about periodontal wrinkles, uh, wrinkles around the eyes, even acne, psoriasis, hair growth, all these great treatments, and now also herpes, um, even slimming is cleared. So more and more of these clearances are coming out. Uh, you see that they do start with what is called an, a prescription only. So this prescription only is um, made because these devices, normally like the slimming devices, they're really big. A doctor needs to operate them. 
there haven't been done any proper clinical studies or usability studies um, where people can use this safely at home. So those usability studies need to be updated, then the device needs to be made that people can use it at home, and then you can change it to what's called an OTC. This is an over-the-counter device. To be able to ask you, answer your question is that you know, the internet is very dark still on what is a medical claim, what's not. But if you go, for example, to a pharmacy store or any other stores in the U.S., then for them to be able to claim the descriptions that they have on the packaging or sell them in a pharmacy, uh, you need to have what's called the FDA 510K process on your device. To be able to do that, the factory need to have certain quality standards, uh, certain safety measurements, and also, of course, you need to do all your due diligence on the clinical background, uh, the usability, and basically just guaranteeing the safety of the user and, of course, the efficacy. On the internet, slowly what, what happens is that any U.S. sold devices, they're getting warnings. So if you make too much claims that you can't make because your 510K or your product doesn't have the 510K listing, then the FDA starts to knock on your door and say, hey, uh, you're making these claims. They're going a bit too much. So, for example, we had a scenario where a customer made some really extreme claims without listing the product and and just going out, out there and saying, hey, it does this and it treats that. In that scenario, what happens is that, for example, the FDA will, will, will freeze the bank accounts, will tell you to do a recall. So meaning that everything that you've sold, you need to go and return to the people you, no matter if they return the device, you still need to return the money to them. And at the end of the day, yeah, you get a big warning sign on your company saying, look, you're selling medical devices that aren't medically cleared. So they are paying more attention to it. But online, it's still a bit mysterious where offline, it's, I can say, 100% controlled. So anything you buy in a pharmacy or you buy in a, in a decent retailer store, the claims and the, 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 the medical claims that is made, I, I can say, is, is pretty, pretty well and very good controlled by the FDA, yeah. So does the 510K cleared mean it's a medical product or that you can make medical claims about the product, if that makes sense? So there's this great thing where the FDA have a pro process, what's called de novo. The novo process is where if I, for example, would say I want to treat spider veins, uh, then there is no priority product to that, that that can make that medical claim to treat spider veins. Now, there are enough clinical studies out there to say this product or this wavelength or this, this alpha power is able to treat spider veins. Then what you do is you apply for de novo and it's, it's quite pricey with the FDA. And then you're able to ask them, can you verify we're able to make these new claims? Then they will review your documents, review the studies, uh, maybe ask additional studies to be made. And then you're able to make a new claim. Then from the de novo, they're making it into what's called the, a 510K number, a product code. You have a product code OHS, for example. This product code is also a light therapy device. If you look it up and you type in on the website OHS as product code, you can see all the possible treatments that are under that product code. Now, if you do a de novo, it will make likely a new product code. And then Spider Veins will get its own three-digit product code. Then if you look that up, 
you can see that likely the first 510K number is a, a prescription-only device. And then from there, you can ask the FDA to review your usability study and turn the prescription-only device into an OTC device. And then from there, you can go and retail it into retail pharmaceuticals or online or anywhere else. What's cool is that it has a very, very simple line where it says, okay, this is the description of the treatment that this product code can do in those claims or in that 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 line of text this is the, the the marketing language that you can use so if it says you can do spider veins that are superficial or spider veins that are not bigger or smaller in this and this size then your marketing language is limited to that use only now of course you see in a lot of this social media it, it gets a bit blown out of the proportions by using different clinical studies out there. And then they refer back to the clinical study, not to the, the product code uh, or medical listing. But on the device itself and the packaging, you will always see that the language is equal to the language that the FDA have got cleared for you or for that product code. Otherwise, of course, you, okay. you risk a huge recall and other things like that. Okay, that makes sense. And then what about, because I get this question a lot, companies that list, let's say, their panels as class two medical devices versus other companies that do not, but they're virtually the same. So what would you tell a person or a customer that's asking you that question? Like, what's the difference between a panel that's class two medical versus one that's not, even though if you look objectively at the numbers? The light spectrum is similar. The light irradiance is similar. The lens beam angle is similar. Like it's all similar. One is class two medical. One is not. What's the difference? So class two medical and 510K cleared are two separate things. The class two medical devices are saying it's in, within the safety range and it changes your body. So it makes a change to you to you as a person in this treatment. Now, a class one, for example, surgical light doesn't change you. It just lights up. It's used in a hospital, but it, it doesn't change the person. Now, these class two medical devices, it does a treatment to you. So in that way, it's always a medical device. Just the FDA has done something great for light therapy where they say, we exempt it from a 510K review. Doesn't mean that they don't audit it, but as long as you don't get audited, uh, what, what a lot of these companies risk, then there is no need to review these documents. There's no need to verify if your test reports are done or not. They're giving it a shot by just doing a registration only and not getting audited. I can say like this also, with COVID going on and uh, not being able to travel to China, you see very few FDA auditors flying over to China to do an audit. I think it maybe isn't possible and they maybe only hired local agents to do this. But previously, before COVID, uh, we would have an FDA person or two people coming over to our factory in army clothes. And they, they say, yeah, Ellen, today we're going to go and review your documents. Please open up these and these and these files to see if you have done your usability study. So this is one of the things that that a device manufacturer needs to do. And if you as a buyer are in contact with any Alibaba supplier and they say, yeah, our product is FDA uh, registered. And a simple thing 
like a usability study, they won't be able to show you of that device out there, then you already know that you're buying a phony. You know, you're buying a product from somebody. If they do not have a usability study is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that that you need to be able to say, uh, how do you verify that this device can be safely used by people? Oh, this is a basic of, of the FDA registrations. When you're listing your devices, uh, you need to have these things verified. Then another thing is, and this is also a very commonly forgotten safety test report, is just an IEC test report. So you have IEC 60601. This is one of the basic electronic safety test reports. Pay attention. There are a lot of these labs that are not CNAS, so CNAS cleared. Now, the CNAS cleared labs, they are verified by the FDA to be able to give the data that's correct. Any other lab, so we have a lot of labs, little labs, smaller than my kitchen, that can write you an uh, IEC test report. What you see is they're not CNAS cleared. So what happens is the FDA already knows that once you submit those documents or once they review those documents, they're made up, they're mocked up. I can literally go to one of those labs and say, tell them what to put on the documents. They will put it on the documents the next day, put their stamp on it and say, here is your test report. This happens quite a lot that you end up paying one, $2,000 for a test report and you, you suddenly get it within the next two weeks. Then you already know, hey, here is something going on. There is no $2,000 test report. There is no two weeks delivery. A test report like that, it takes four weeks, at least, at least. If you ask them to do a rush job, because we do so many of these tests, maybe three weeks is possible, but this is a proper testing. And then if you do them and file and write out all these documents of all these tests, uh, you need to get the certification. It gives you another week. It's not so cheap like a 2000. I'd rather add another zero uh, to many of these labs. An SGS would even cost you more than a $35,000 for just a simple test report like that. This is also, if you want to sell, for example, to QVC or HSN, they will require you to show these documents uh, because they also know that a lot of these companies haven't done the due diligence. And uh, for them not to put their neck on the line, they will do the due diligence for you. So they ask you, have you done this with SGS or any of these other labs that have at least the CNOS or uh, related documents? Yes. Ask the supplier, have you got your usability test? Okay, show it. If they haven't had any video material or any doctor certificate, then you already know that the FDA won't review this as a proper usability test. So the doctor that is related to the test for the device to verify that this device can make these claims needs to be most likely of 99% of the time an American doctor. They have troubles with a European or any other area doctor, although they speak English, because the usage of people in the U.S., uh, the habits, the culture, and so on, is different 
from the local FDA market. So meaning uh, we had an, an, an argument with the FDA also about this. Look, we speak English in Holland, for example, and we are doing the usability study in Holland. They simply said, yeah, but you like this. We like that. You have these type of cultural habits. We have those type of cultural habits. How can you say that your usability study is that has the same outcome as the one we would have in the USA? So they're clearly saying, okay, if the device hasn't been usability tested uh, by a doctor, or at least with a doctor, uh, with American people, then they would have troubles verifying that this product can be safely used by American people. So what we do now is uh, we get a whole bunch of American passport holders in Holland. We get a perfect English-speaking doctor that is certified or with related to American Association for Dermatology or anything else like that to verify the skin issues and doing this type of usability test. In that way, we have the most professional outcome. Uh, we still utilize our team, our, our office in Holland, put it on camera, do the, the, the pictures, do all the due diligence there and do a usability like that. So in that way, we have been cleared every single time by the FDA and went through without any problem. But when we did it from uh, our factory in China, they, they just simply said, yeah, we're not related to Chinese people. We we don't eat with chopsticks. So uh, the, the, the output is different, yeah. Well, guys, the holiday season may be over, but you can still save big. We've had this for some time now. BioLite has what's called bundles. So simply go to the BioLite website, BioLite.shop, go under products, and there'll be a tab for bundles. With each of these bundles, there's three of them, you save 20% off on the entire package. For example, we have the Beauty Bundle, which includes a Shine and Stand, a Guardian Plus, and the Longev Revive Cream. So that bundle of three products, you save 20% off the entire package. There's the Recovery Bundle, that includes the Recharge Plus panel, the Guardian mouthpiece, and then the Longev Recover Cream. And that Recover Cream is just like the Revive Cream, except it has added CBD oil infused into it. That package of three items all comes at 20% off. And then the last bundle, which is the most versatile bundle in the sense that you get to pick and choose what products you want. You get to pick and choose from the Recharge Plus panel, the Restore Plus panel, or the Matrix Full Body Mat. And then you get to choose between the Guardian and Guardian Plus. And then you get to choose between the Revive and the Recover Cream. It also includes the Shine and Stand, so you get to choose between black and silver. By purchasing those four products in the Ultimate Bundle, you save 20% off all of the products. You also save 20% off shipping. So literally, the entire package and shipping is 20% off. So if you're ever needing some red light therapy products and are looking for a discount, just remember the bundles are always 20% off. 365 days a year, no coupon code necessary. Gotcha. Okay. And then we were talking about this before we press the record button. This other topic related to the FDA. Could you kind of go into that? Had to do with hotspots or what have you? You want to kind of talk about that? Yeah, so and and that's where I wanted to pick your brain about Mike, uh, because you have spoken to so many people and they have so many certain, sometimes very strong thoughts about what a device needs to be. So meaning what the output needs to be, what the wavelength needs to be. But uh, from my point of view, and I've been in this industry for quite a, some time, we still don't really understand how to measure uh, light in a correct way. We still don't really understand 
how this is absorbed by the body in a correct way. And when we look at the clinical data, 99.9% of the actual technical data isn't there. You know, we, we make our LEDs customized in our factory ourselves. We can build any wavelength, any scope of, of light that you want out of a chip by adjusting it with different components. So adjusting the powder that we use, adjusting the chip, adjusting the base, adjusting the, the, the dye. Every single step in the LED production, we can adjust to make sure that the output of the light is a bit different. Now, what you see is that when we refer to a clinical study of light, we always say, okay, it needs to be 630, right? 630, 650, 680. There, there are some great wavelengths that in some way, some people have the idea that the higher, the better. Um, uh, the higher the wavelength? And, and yeah, even. It's been interpreted like that. If you're new in the industry, maybe you say, oh, no, 880 is better. Uh, but then later they, they they figured out that the milliwatts is actually the brightness, right? And then suddenly okay. they say, "Wow, I want I want more milliwatts." But then from that point, where do you measure? Do you measure the milliwatts or do you measure the wavelength? And what is the energy that we're trying to measure? Is it the light that your body absorbs? Is it the peak that comes out of that that LED? Or is it the full wave? On these topics, what you see in a lot of these clinical studies, they use also our products. And then you will see that the, the, the product is referred to as 650 nanometer LED panel. But an LED isn't like a laser where we can give off a single nanometer with a very, with less than one nanometer difference on the left and the right side. An LED goes in a, in a wave where it starts off sometimes at 620. Then it peaks at 650, goes all the way down to 700, sometimes even, even more. So all that energy on the side of the mountain is, is just forgotten. It's like we, we're going up the Mount Everest and we're only saying, yeah, I, I have walked to the top. No, the whole ride to the top, the, 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 all that on the side here is all that energy that is also being delivered to your body. Now, how do you, as you have been in this industry so long, how do you, yeah, how do you see that though, Mike? Is it the, the, the sided energy? Because some LEDs, they're, they're more like a peak, like this, like an Eiffel Tower. Some, they're more like, yeah, they, they go like a flat mount and then they drop off. So what do you think is the sweet spot for light therapy? Well, that's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> at the end of the day, the mitochondria are going to respond to red light. They're going to respond to near-infrared light. They're not going to respond or only respond to one specific wavelength. And I've talked about this with, I think, you, whether it's on or off the podcast, and then many other people, as I've been in the red light therapy industry, Maybe as time goes on, research will be able to pinpoint specific wavelengths. Let's say 660 works especially well for this condition. 630 works especially well for this condition. 880 works really well for this condition for pain relief. But at the end of the day, red light is red light is red light, meaning as long as your cells are getting exposed to red light, 
As long as your cells are getting exposed to near-infrared light, you're likely going to see these positive benefits that are touted in the research. To your point, when someone is saying, we're using 660 nanometers in our research here, well, there there is an overlap, like you're saying, that this mountain or this bell curve where you're actually accruing or you're, you're uh, exposed to all the way from, let, let's say, 620 to 680 or 700, but the research is saying 660. And so as a consumer, that's what you hear and that's what you know and that's what you want your product to be is 660 when you're getting exposed to much more than that, right? And then you have products out there that offer multiple wavelengths within a certain device. So there's panels that offer two or three wavelengths of red light and then two or three wavelengths of near-infrared light. I'm not really sure what you think about that, if the, if it's more efficacious or more effective or if it's more of a marketing ploy so that's that's what we're trying to say right the the peak is like this or when you say okay i offer now a 630 and over 650 <laughs> my cat wants to join or over 680 or so on now by adjusting the leds you can offer that all into even one die right one but then like when you're giving uh, somebody something to eat and you add that food grading uh, value, so it has this much soluble fats, this much vitamin B, this much vitamin E, vitamin C, all these values are given to the consumer and they can make the decision if this is what they want. Now we're, we're just blinding all that information and we're just saying there is this much vitamin C, so this much 650 in there. But if there is this vitamin D or this other information there, you don't know. And then because they added another dye, they can make the claim, yeah, there's another peak in there. But that is true because in that device, the peak, which one is the peak? Is the one that with the highest. So making the claim that there is another 630 there as well, if you look at it from a point of measurements, there's only one peak. Then when you look at that, over the device of then saying, yeah, we have a 630, a 650, a 680. That doesn't work. No, they added more dyes, but then you can also just make one die that has them all covered already. So why not say we have 641, 642, 643, 644, 645, right? Why, why not say we have all these? Uh, they're all valued at this maximum output power, then you can say, hey, we're a multivitamin light therapy device. So I, I feel that we're, and this is why I, I keep saying the word vitamin, right? I think that we are keep thinking light as when we're in the 1800s, uh, we understand that orange is good for you, but we don't know yet that it has vitamin C in there, for example. When you're still thinking about vitamin C, then we're still not aware that there is also a vitamin D, E, F, all these other ones. So I think that we're just way too early to say that we know what we're talking about yet with this. And it's just a huge pity that there has been a lot of these clinical studies that don't tell you the actual information. In the past, there was something like lasers, where a lot of the clinical studies for light therapy were done on lasers, and they were very precise. There were 650, and then was it? it was 650. There was no 640 there. So you were very able, very easy to say, okay, 650 is good for this. With LEDs, it's a different ballgame. This definitely needs some new life in this industry to say, 
okay, these measurements are being done in this way. And as a consumer, you can make a decision, not just on some data that a seller or a factory went like, yeah, I had a 650 and a 680 or so. No, we can actually see, okay, this is the value. This is real value that your body can absorb. I would love to, to work to an actual consumer value that the consumer knows what he's buying, this type of thing. And then you, you talked about heat spots. Now, heat spots, you know, as we, we develop these products, every LED from one to the other, in the middle, you have always a space, no matter what. So always you get overlapping or you get areas where an LED isn't in the center. That means that when you're measuring, you, you go up or down a little bit, you might get one similar value. But the only reason why you get a similar value is because your measuring device isn't precise enough. So your measurement device, if you measure with a square meter, you know, no matter how you move it over a device that is half a meter, it will always be the same. So the same is that with the current ones. The current ones are square centimeter. You're going over it. Uh, the value will plus or minus show the same. If your measuring device would be one square millimeter, the numbers will be all over. This is something where I have a lot of uh, admirer for James Carroll. Maybe you know him, James Carroll from Tor. Yep. He um, he is also one of those guys that says, you know, it needs to be done differently. The measurements need to be done professionally. And right now, they're not measured correct. And he's making these devices and he's saying, yeah, we are doing it wrong. What he did is um, he made it a computer automated device or the idea of it. And he told me once, hey, Ellen, why not just measure it like this and this? And we actually made one like that. So I would love to next time either send a picture or maybe you can add it to the podcast that we add that picture where we do it. We use, we modified it, a 3D printer. And what the 3D printer does is it goes over horizontally, vertically in, in the depth over the device to do a measurement every centimeter square. And this is the maximum we can get now because the resolution of the measurement device is a centimeter square. I wish we can do it more precise, but the industry doesn't allow because the tools aren't there. Let me, let me backpedal to the first part we're talking about of, as far as companies or, or, or products being touted as having a specific wavelength. I guess I'm imagining in the future, hopefully not the too distant future, where maybe there will be some standardization where every product you're selling you'll maybe have a chart that vividly describes or shows the wavelengths of that specific device. So then you can have some objective data of this company's device versus this company's device, which wavelengths are most predominant, which ones are weakest, and like what works best for what I'm trying to treat. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Exactly, exactly. I think uh, an informed consumer is key to this industry. The more information you give to the consumers, to the professors, to the schools, the universities that are working with these devices, the more amazing researches and treatments are coming out of this. It's key that suppliers, manufacturers start to unite on one base of information on how they provide this to their buyers while they develop this product so that when we see new 
advantages coming out of this industry that we know what we talked about or that we know what we delivered during that time. And there are other factors like frequency. You know, it's not getting easier. It's uh, it's only getting more and more difficult. And there are different waves in the frequency. Are you using a square wave or, you know, there there's so many different key factors with this that at the end of the day, you, you see that, okay, according to the FDA or according a clinical study, the devices are the same, but they're totally black and white difference. I have seen, you have seen, a lot of other companies have seen, and nobody somehow tries to say, okay, I am willing to take the responsibility to inform the customer to, with the right information. So what do you think is most lacking from an educational standpoint right now for the customer? Because even now, for someone just dipping their toes into the red light therapy space, it can be somewhat overwhelming between all the different products, all the different companies. Everyone's touting theirs as the best, and you know they have the highest light ratings. They have the most efficacious this, this and that, and the other. Some of it's true, some of it's misinformation. But again, as a new consumer, and then you know what does red light do? What does near infrared light do? And what am I supposed to use for my body? What is most lacking from an educational standpoint that we could really help move the red light therapy industry forward? in a more effective and efficacious manner? So first of all, a unified measuring way to inform the consumer. So unified measuring means, uh, okay, we say this graph or this way of data delivery to the consumer is how all the suppliers will be playing by. Because just randomly saying, I have 630, I have 650, and I put this and that in there, you know, I can put that in one chip and I can put also the 10 other wavelengths in there by using one dye. A unified base where we say, okay, this is this is measurement. And uh, IEC test reports, they do that with many other things. They don't really do that correctly yet with the delivery of light. They, they talk about light and eye safety and other things like that, but their delivery goes all about maximum. You know, maximum this is safe for people in that way. The maximum time span, the maximum dosage, the maximum joules, these type of things. But they don't talk about the, the waves in, in, in a beneficial way for the body. So they talk about safety 99% of the time, of course. It is in Chinese, but I like to drink this, the, you know, the coconut juice. It has the food values. Yep. We should standardize these things. We should say, okay, this, this is the graph. This is what we have measured. This is the dosage of light that you're going to get if you're using me, if you're using this device. I have this idea and it's all pro bono, you know, all set up for, for, for people just to, to explore this industry because this industry still misses knowledge, misses awareness. I'm not in a position that I say, okay, we, you know, we need to stop competition and all these things. No, I, I made also the same thing. We made over 150 patents. The patents that we have, you know, knock on my door. I'm happy to say, please use these or use that. These type of things can be beneficial for the industry. Of course, uh, you know, if you're going to go and sell it exclusively or do that or that, uh, that doesn't help the industry. No, I have also no interest to help you. But, you know, if you're out there and you're screaming off the roof of what light therapy can do, I'm willing to help. So the same with this. That is why I bought this domain name. It's called clinicalstudies.com. So clinicalstudies.com, I am, and this is 2023, this year I have these plans to go and and work with people 
that are willing or that are busy with clinical studies on alternative devices, so not just light therapy. Uh, it can be PMEF, can be anything else that is alternative without side effects. One of the key is, is that it's not a pharmaceutical where you need to list out all the side effects to be able to say, okay, this device or this pill does something beneficial while it has 99% non-beneficial things for your body. Where a lot of these devices, they have no side effects. They're all great for your body and they really help getting your body back in tune or in, in line again. All these different treatments, I would like to collect on, on a little platform, the clinical studies platform, and being able to give people an honest, open review, honest, open data of how this came together. And this is the same for the clinical reviews on light therapy and, and how this food value, but light value, I like to call it vitamin, uh, light vitamin value is being delivered to the body. Having this in a very simple, easy way, I think is still not possible yet because of the measurements tools that are out there. We're trying to measure centimeters or inches by using something like a scale. We're looking at how heavy something is to know how long the centimeters or the inches are. So I think we're still doing it wrong. We're not at the stage where we know how to do it right. The absorption of your body, the, the reflection, all these things. We find out that things like the mitochondria is being activated by light, but 100% of your body is activated by light. You won't be living if there isn't any light. The ATP and the mitochondria, okay, it's great. And we found out these things. But I think there is a much more that we still don't really understand that light can do. It should be just as essential as we understand that air oxygen is for you. If I close your mouth, you understand, oh, I'm going to die. No, if I switch off the lights, if I not go in the sun, you're going to have the same bad effects. Within the next 10 years, or I hope within the next 10 years, we start to see light just as a as value of food. How much food did you absorb today? How much light did you absorb today? Giving the correct values to the consumer will make people understand how important BioLight and the devices and how important uh, light therapy is for yourself. So just a step back, you know, we're, we're in the trees and the details right now. Stepping back from a macro perspective, as crude as the devices are today, relatively speaking to what you see in the future, people are still getting phenomenal results. People are still seeing, you know, health maladies and diseases and, you know, Pains and aches Amazing disappear results. with yeah. light therapy, right? So what you're saying is you see a future where it's much more fine-tuned, these devices and the specifics and the metrics on the objective data. And and I'm sure the products can become more specific and, and much more uh, advanced in many ways that I can't even conceive right now. So the future of red light therapy is going to be more specific. Would you say more effective? because we're going to have more definitive parameters. Yeah, but, 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 label, I, so but to speak. So, so what do you see for the future of red light therapy from where, where it is now? Again, I, I call it the crew tools. We're seeing very positive results. So what is the future and all these fine-tuned details look like in the future? And, and how does that make a difference? So I, I've seen companies um, use light therapy in a very fine-tuned way where they found out certain things can be done with the light, with the frequencies, with even a hundredth 
of the output power of a panel, even less, maybe maybe a thousandth of that. Give us numbers, like uh, example. So for so example, so for example, you you can imagine that when you look at a at one of those devices, we have it at the size of a panel, uh, a size of a of a good size panel um, that would absorb about 150 watts, maybe even 300 watts in in electricity power. So that's a lot in light power. If you look at the measurements from, from how I say six inches, you'll go up to 100 milliwatts, at least 150 milliwatts in light delivery. And that's a peak that's again. A, uh, that's a that peak. seems to be that's the standard for panels these days. Everyone has between 100 to 150. People are touting yeah, the higher yeah. is better. But you're saying, you're seeing results. So, so I, I'm trying to say is that with three watts of electricity power, three watts, same size. Three watts on skin delivery, maybe a couple milliwatts. I have seen people deliver continuously, not not sporadiously, uh, continuously deliver more and better results for certain treatment points that they're trying to treat people with on their body than uh, such a panel. Less than a thousandth, uh, one thousandth of light power so i see it as somebody trying to use a sledgehammer to hit a tiny nail well if you know that you have the precision point you can do it with a tiny object tiny little thing you you can treat that area as well so some people have been in this industry so long to know what and how people react because of just the use using it what you see is that the sledgehammer has been more clinically verified because uh, the sledgehammer somehow works for everybody. You know, if you want to hit the nail somewhere on the table, the big hammer, boom, likely it does it. But uh, by fine-tuning on individual people, you can see that you can get higher results even sometimes. And I've literally seen them myself in that way where I am super impressed about light therapy in that way. And also that's why I say I think we we really don't know and I'm not the one to tell people I know because I don't know. Let's come together. Let's try to make a difference to try to figure out how can we know, you know, because everybody tries to say they know. Okay, okay. I, I also know, yes, it does create a result, but I have no idea how or why or, or anything like that. We really need to put the effort together to, to create that. To your point, though, it seems to be less is more. Since I got into the industry, well, I think that's the point you're kind of making. When I first got into the industry four years ago now, everyone was competing to have the highest light ratings because higher is better because why not, yeah. right? That's the American mentality. More is better. <laughs> yeah. But but the research I've seen in the last year or so, to your point, is these full body devices, whether it's a panel or or a red light therapy bed, and instead of the light ratings being up in the 150s, they're using light irradiance in the teens or like 10, and they're getting phenomenal results. So to your point, there may be some hidden unlocked potential by doing these lower and slower red light therapy treatments versus these high-powered, quick and heavy treatments. Maybe the mitochondria respond differently. I think another topic or another avenue to pursue is, is timing. We've seen some research come out in the last year, year and a half, where certain mitochondria, like in the eye, respond to red light only in the morning and not in the afternoon. 
So what other tissues, what other organs, what other cells only respond at certain times of the day, kind of like Sachin Panda's work on our clock genes, you know, all of our tissues and cells have different clock genes that respond at different times of the day. Well, maybe our mitochondria and different cells and different tissues and different organs respond best at different times of the day, or maybe it's all in the morning. I don't know, but that's just another avenue to pursue is timing on top of everything else. So that is why I think the measurement device shouldn't be by measured by the output, but should be measured by how your body absorbs and reflects and and yeah, somehow reacts to it. Everybody is individual, everybody's different. There are now slowly seeing studies out there that are trying to do that on the brain. They're trying to shine some light on, on the brain and see what it does to uh, that area. Do you get more activity? Do you get either different EEG? Do you get different, you know, all these different things. I do think that we need to look out of the box because right now just saying, okay, the more is the better or or less is better. I don't think that's what we need to look at. We need to look at what you say also. Does it absorb, does your body absorb this better in the morning? Is it that, for example, if you run a night shift, does it then work better for you in the night? How does your body work that? Is that related to the circadian rhythm? Is it related to the location of the sun? Is it related to different pressure? Is it different waves? All these things. So we have a million questions that we can't answer yet because we don't understand them yet. And just basically because we don't have the right tools to measure them. I think a couple other interesting factors would be your location on the earth from a latitude perspective. I think that would play a major role. And then your genealogy. Um, Are you more... Eastern European? Are you Chinese? Are exactly, you, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your cells are going to react differently, likely, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's very multifactorial. So, so that's why when people ask me, like, what's a specific protocol for this or how do I best treat that? It's a very loaded, complex question, while at the same time, relatively simple in the sense that you just need to be exposed to the sun, you need to be exposed to red and near infrared light on a consistent basis, and you'll likely see positive results. Yes, we can get into the nitty gritty details of a specific protocol at some point in time, but just being exposed to these specific wavelengths will likely render a positive result, I guess is the point. It's a little complex, but at the same time, it's pretty simple. It's super simple, but we're trying to measure a length with a scale. You know, we're we're doing it in the wrong direction, the wrong way. And we are being distracted by people that somehow have seen results in that way. And because the results are being proven, uh, medically it's cleared, FDA has, has, has said, okay, this is fine. We keep our eyes closed now for everything else because, look, FDA cleared it. We're in the clears. We're all good. We can sell, we can make money from it. Why are we going to look outside the box? You know, we don't need to do this because we are able to sell. We can, we, we can do these things now. The motivation is zero from a commercial standpoint of view. My drive is zero commercial. <laughs> uh, my drive is 100% from the inside. So knowing that light is going to be the new future of medicine that drive also drives me to figure out okay guys we need to know and we need to figure out okay how can we get this going to the next level so how can we bring light to the next level and i think your your company is doing an amazing thing there you're non-stop exploring there mike on uh different ways different options different possibilities 
But in this industry, there are many other people that they're not just tunnel vision by this. They also want to know more and explore more. So, yeah, I think this year is going to be a super exciting year. Yeah, kind of to speak to your point, and some people are in this industry clearly to make a quick buck and they're being capitalistic, whereas people like you and I, we want to see this industry move forward for the better for mankind and approaching it more from an altruistic standpoint versus capitalistic um, yeah, and, and and nothing bad, you know, make that quick mark, but because it's pretty damn difficult for those people to educate that light does something, right? So to still put them in somebody a, a story that, hey, light can do this for you, or also benefits us at the end of the day by, hey, it can do much more, right? At the end of the day, I think we're we're still lack of education, uh, lack of people knowing you know, what you see on the packaging of uh, coconut juice is actually what we need to see on every every light device. Give the tools to the people, let the people be the motivation and the movement to this change in the industry. And we all benefit from this. 100%. And, and just hearkening back to the first interview with you, Alan, we discussed like, what are some different ways we could measure the the effects of light, the, the the effect of light is having on a person. And I think you said at that point in time, measuring the water in the body, was that correct? Or some aspect of mitochondrial mm. health? Yeah, so so there are, uh, there are some really smart people in the world, people like, for example, Gerald Pollack, that say, you know, light is responsible for movements in water. We're 90% water. We need this movement. So these type of things really show thinking out of the box. How much movement do we create in cells in, in this way? How can we measure that? How can we see those those type of things that maybe we get to a point that we're not trying to measure anymore with scale? We're trying to measure now with a new different way of, of reviewing it. Okay, it has done this to the water in your body. It has done that to... So and so and so. Yeah, activate some more of those smart, clever minds. Uh, we, we will get there someday. It won't take very long, I hope. Do you know of any ways to potentially measure mitochondrial health or measure the biological water in our body? Or is that kind of, again, in the future, hopefully not too distant? There's been quite some experimental ways, but they're all on Petri discs. So they're all outside of the body very smart university professor in Texas that we work with also says, you know, on a Petri disc, you can mimic everything. You can make sure that everything happens. But how do you do that in the body? That's a day and night difference. Still, a lot of this data is still missing from being actually tested on a human and actually measured and reviewed out of a human. It's mostly done on a lab in a Petri disc where mimicking anything is pretty possible. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Earlier on in this interview, you were talking about herpes and how that's kind of a newer FDA clearance, correct? Yeah. Are yeah. there any yeah. other ones that are on the cusp of being cleared? Any other conditions that are on the cusp of being cleared by the FDA or any ones that you'd be you see being cleared in the next year or two? So, so there, there are a lot of companies giving it a shot to do something with the brain if anything with the brain can be cleared then of course the light therapy will get the credibility of you know being the next medicine it doesn't look like it's going to happen within the next two three 
four years, I worry. Brain specifically? Uh, brain specifically, yes. But other clearances, like and a more commercial one, so quick buck one, likely is going to be the, the slimming for OTC, because right now there's no OTC in the world. There is going to be something for eyes, glaucoma, diabetes, degeneration to the eye. Anything related to diabetes will degenerate your body, neuropathic or eyes or any other area uh, will get FDA cleared in a very short time. Uh, Items like, for example, the jaw, uh, TMJ, you know, is a big one, Uh, the clicking of the mouth, gum health, uh, oral health, ulcers. These type of treatments, they're fairly easy now to de novo clear them because there is quite some studies out there already on this. Right now, there are about 8,500 good studies out there on light therapy. And you'll see that the alters one already has more than 10 or something. You slowly see that the ones with, let's say, five or 10 studies, they will get an FDA clearance within the next next year. Anything lower than that with the one or two studies, the FDA will also have troubles getting them clear because they would just want to see more. They want to see more data. Gotcha. That makes sense. So yeah. potentially a handful of more FDA cleared conditions in the next year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Super exciting, right? Yeah, that'd be huge. And like you said, each one that gets cleared is just more credibility for for light therapy as a whole, as an industry. It's such a painful process still because the de novo isn't cheap. You know, doing a clinical study isn't cheap. Doing a de novo isn't cheap. But just giving somebody the footing grades, it has this much vitamin C, this much D, this much that, then already people can make decisions. This is good for my teeth, my gum, my hair, my nails, my, my gut, my liver. You know, people make decisions based on that, what is good for their body in that way, what, what is good for their absorbance. If now we're approaching light therapy in the other way around to say, look, we're not going to clear it anymore per treatment because light is good for in general as a person, same as food. You can't go and say, yeah, food, you need to, you can go without, no, but you can say, okay, food in particular values in particular doses is good for organs, different organs, different uh, functions. Once we can settle to that food and daily dose of light, eh, the daily dose of vitamins is this, and this is what everybody needs. This is equal to the sun in your area. So if we do an area selected daily dose that everybody needs, predicting that, okay, saying that, you know, we are born outside under the sun. And we're just hiding from the sun behind the glass windows the last two, three hundred years now. And before that time, we were all made under the sun and we needed the sun. We understood that the sun was part of our health. And now somehow it's trying to filter the infrared, filter the, the UV, all these other things. And, and think that, yeah, in that way, you don't have such a high electricity bill because you don't need to put the air cost so high because the infrared is gone. At that stage, that once we start to realize that light is a food uh, and we have all these vitamins in there that we need, the sales and the FDA and reviewing the devices, it's going to be very different. They're going to look at, okay, how many of this vitamin of light do you have in there? Okay, if this much, you can make now these claims. Oh, you have this much as well of green. Oh, you can make also these, these claims. And then it's going to be, reverse engineering on sales because then 
we want to all sell these multivitamins. Everybody end up selling the daily sunlight in their house because this is ultimately the, the best light that we need, what we made under. And then we try to compensate what we don't have enough of or what we lose during the day when we sit in the office. Then measuring the body and measuring the delivery dose and these type of things and then going home and then measuring what you reflect as you're as a person or what you don't reflect meaning what you actually need still is going to be the key to say okay this device has added that to your daily treatment and but we're not there yet but it will be soon i hope gosh i know i completely understand and i agree with you on all those standpoints and i just have a couple more questions alan And we talked about this last time too, I believe, as far as the current products not lending themselves to be necessarily easy to use. You have to set aside time. You have to set aside potentially standing in front of something for X amount of time. Do you still see the current landscape of light therapy or red light therapy not lending to ease of use or there's some friction there with people having to set aside time, having to set aside energy in order to use red light therapy? And do you see a future where that's going to become less of an issue? So I have this book in my house and it's about creating habits and how can you create like good habits and these type of things for your day. And, and, and it, it's a, it's a pretty damn ta- hard task to add another habit, adding another 20 minutes to do something good for you. You always find out your, you have something else that's better. Setting your priorities, setting all these things. I can say that with our busy lives and everything, adding or removing another 20 minutes just to be taking care of yourself with a light that you can't even see is damn hard for most of the people. Doing this in a way that people don't notice that they're doing it is key. Usability is obsolete there because you need to make sure that they don't notice that they're doing it during the day in a way that it becomes a real habit. I have now the light turned on. This is my habit. I didn't even notice what is the wavelength. I didn't notice that I turned this on, that it is good for me. So in this way, treating myself is a very ideal situation. I'm sitting on a chair. Um, this chair I'm sitting on, uh, I'm wearing the ear pieces. These ear pieces could potentially deliver it. There are endless of ways, just brushing my teeth, having an inner toothbrush, uh, all these other things, all these other locations where you're already doing what you're doing daily without changing another or adding another habit would make sales of these products very easy, I guess, because people will start using them. If you tell people to add another habit to their daily rhythm, I, I can tell you, I have a tough time doing this. So I don't know how you're, Mike, but we're all, uh, we're all <laughs> yeah, we're all pretty busy, right? Yeah, I totally agree. It's tough to instill a new habit, even if it's good for you. So those who are super fervent about whether it's solving a health issue or just optimizing their health, they'll they'll find a time and a way to do so. But on average. It's difficult to do something new consistently, even if it's good for you. So so to your point, I think as the future moves along, uh, we're going to trend in ways that are, again, ways, like you said, that we don't even know we're necessarily utilizing. It's just being integrated into our daily life. And by the end of the day, we're getting you know X amount of dosage of red light therapy on a daily basis, and we didn't even try. So hopefully that's yeah. where, the, where the future is headed. And I'm, I'm a big fan of the wearables. I don't know how you look at it, but wearables are quite nice in that way, in that direction. 
measuring just, biometrics or for doing red light therapy? Even delivering lights just through a wearable, like the earpiece you're having. If you if you deliver it through an earpiece, something like that already is easy for people to do. I like the wearables a lot, but light and output power and how high output power doesn't really work as a wearable. So, right. Right. well, with that being said, that was actually going to be my last question is, where do you see or do you have you don't have to like release any game changing ideas, but are there any new cool technologies coming to the red light therapy space? For example, one of these photobiomodulation books by Dr. Michael Hamblin, I'm sure you've read it about photobiomodulation in general, but even at the end of this book, and I think this is from like 2018, 2019, they're talking about putting light like into capsules where you swallow them and ingest them. And then as the pill goes through your body and through your stomach and through your intestines, it's emitting light and improving those tissues as the pill works through or the capsule works through your body, implanting different devices into your body that would emit light that perhaps near infrared from the outside wouldn't be able to penetrate deep enough. That's a long-winded way of saying, do you see any new innovative technologies or ways that people, whether it's medical grade or, or more for the consumer, that's going to be coming so, out. For example, I, I'm happy you, you brought it up about the pill one. We, yeah, somehow left or right, we're involved with a great company that does this where we work with a doctor in Australia. They have some very innovative ideas that we, we work with them on this, but it's still far away, right? It's still far away before people start to swallow the lights and treat their bowel syndrome or something like that in that way. We've made it in that way. We produce these type of things, but it's still a bit of a distance before you see this in a pharmacy. On the future node, we don't need to look in applications to the people, but in applications where we have problems now. So our biggest problem right now is, for example, delivery, the heat that it brings you. When you add light in a wearable, you always bring heat. And the, the, the only limitation why you cannot put more light over your body is because you become like a, a baked potato, you know, because it's just too much light, too much energy, too much power. So I, I think that answer, uh, if, if you can answer that question, you already solve the future into how light will evolve. I can definitely say that we are working on uh, ways to make light therapy devices with zero heat, no heat, but optimal output. Uh, output in a way that you have no spots, for example. You know, we talked about the heat spots and these type of things. So it's just by reviewing the problems, you find the future keys to what is it? Yeah, the glass ball, right? Because we have heat, we have the heat spots, we have these other things. So looking at those issues, you can know what the future will bring you. Thinking without those limitations of the box, the the white, the, the, the right wall and the left wall and, and just go like this and say, hey, we're going to solve this by making a light that has no heat issues. Uh, you will be able to find the solution. So yeah, a lot of exciting things to still show. And I hope I can show some more on the next future podcast about that. Yeah, you bet. I'm sure a lot will change between now and then. <laughs> Yes, it has in the past year and a half already. Well, Alan, I appreciate your time, man. I know it's uh, past midnight where you are, right? In Shenzhen. Yeah, I'm sort of a night owl, but now also morning owl. I I just got a a baby son and he wakes me up every two hours. So I'm okay. (laughs) That's right. Congratulations on the newborn. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so well, much, Mike. Yeah, I'll just tell uh, them. Again, amazing interview. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, go ahead and tell people where they can find and learn yeah. more about you personally and your company, Cayenne Medical. Great. Thank you so much. Cayennemedical.com, either on LinkedIn or on our website directly. We have a fill-in form where you can fill in your specific question. And we're uh, looking forward to to see and hear from any innovative idea or any innovative product where people say, okay, let's go and think out of the box. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, we'll leave all of those links in the show notes so people can go check out the website, uh, your LinkedIn and, and whatnot, so they can reach out to you. Thank you so much, Mike. Ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it will, we need this type of movement. Your podcast is a huge and amazing part of that movement to a brighter future of light therapy. So always good to listen and, and, and being on your show, Mike. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks for being on, Alan, and appreciate the praises for the podcast. And uh, like you know, you know, while I do run a company that sells products in BioLite, one of my you know, biggest sources of pride of running the company is providing the education, having this podcast to get the get the information out to the masses. Because like you said, more and more people just need to know about it so that they can understand the many benefits of red light therapy to impact their health. And I mean, you and I are just doing our parts to, to get the word out, get the technology out and, and improve people's lives. So um, I appreciate you and your company for for what you guys do. But without further ado, guys, Thanks for joining us and listening to this episode. Again, go check out Alan and Cayenne Medical with the links that are in the show notes. And you guys have a wonderful week. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.